Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everybody, welcome to the Inferno Podcast, episode 24. Yeah, we got three amigos here. I'm your host, Dana Scott, um, and also the legendary Cedric Sabalas, former Suns player and uh, NBA uh, All-Star from 1995, slam dunk champion, and Dr. Patrick Patillo, a.k.a. Mr. Orange, the Suns super fan. We've had a pretty great uh, couple of weeks um, on this podcast, and you know, also we've been doing this for over a year, but when I get first things first started about the Suns, five of the last six games they've lost. It's been pretty, pretty scary to see some stuff in the clutch, uh, especially against OKC on Sunday and then uh, also against the Lakers on Wednesday night in which they dropped their, those games. And a lot of this been blamed on free throw disparity. Here we go again talking about free throws <laughs> and Monty's rant that he stormed off last night, brimming with anger, come to a head. But there's more than meets the eye that comes to the free throws and why the Suns are not winning games. Obviously, Kevin Durant's out. He's been out since uh, with his pregame injury uh, before he faced his former team, OKC, like a couple weeks ago. Um, that game was March. Were you there at that game, Patrick? Yep. Yep. Okay, so that was on March 9th, I believe. Um, so if I, I'm not getting my dates correct, but the the free throw disparity last night was 46 to 20, and also OKC there was a free throw disparity on Sunday. Shy uh, Gilgeous uh, Alexander had 19 free throws alone. Suns didn't have. Up to that many. The uh, DeAndre Aiden's been missing too with his his groin injury that he suffered against the Orlando Magic uh, last uh, uh, week, last last Saturday. So there's a lot going on uh, that you could blame. But is it really tired to hear about free throws, or is it a valid point at the still going into the, the next game against Philadelphia on Saturday? Well, great job by uh, Coach Monty Williams to try to change the narrative of uh, the league and the officials going into. But I think he knows, and 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 we see it too. It's the uh, uh, non presence one of Aiden and KD. But you you remember, you know, giving up getting KD, you gave up Mikel and Cam, which are two great defenders who play great defense without fouling. And I think that's the disparity that's going on now. Um, the defense that the Suns are displaying now are, are, you know, people are getting by them. And, and what are they doing when they get by them? They put their hands on them. They're they coming up with those fouls um, that Cam and Mikhail wouldn't do. And also aiding and also uh, KD wouldn't do because of their height and, and their defensive intensity. So um, that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're making a push, uh, Pat, to try to put themselves in a position to to get some more calls and get less calls. But, uh, you know, it really boils down to the, the squad that they're playing out there, the five. They're not really moving their feet, but they're using their hands a lot. 
Yeah, uh, said hit it on the head. You know, for me as a coach, uh, I get what Monty's doing, and Monty has a very fine line to walk twofold. One from the NBA uh, league office and and how they're going to handle checkbooks when you make any comments about officiating. And then two, you're the head coach, so you got to protect your players and you have to address what the media talks about as well. Uh, for me internally, I would be talking about us needing to be more aggressive. So it's about the makeup and who you have. Obviously, when they're playing AD and we don't have a lot of bigs to compete against that, there's going to be likely more reaching uh, and more physical play that results in foul calls and them getting to the line more than you. Uh, and then us on the offensive end, we need to make sure we're aggressive and we're attacking and drawing the fouls on the contact. And outside of Booker, I don't think we do a great job of that. And so looking at it at the surface and not understanding the personnel and who's playing, yeah, it's easy to look at and be like, wow, that's a big disparity. But in, in reality, is there really that big of a disparity? And also, is that what we're going to look at as to the reason we lost the game? I know internally, Monte Williams, there's no way he's looking at that and uh, holding his hat on we lost a game because of this uh, we have to be better and and my motto control what you can control uh, but obviously what is in the press and what you're going to be speaking about publicly uh, you know you're gonna have to walk that fine line that uh, Monty's walking yeah, yeah I agree if you have two seven footers that are not out the offense on the opposite team they get uh, they start licking their chops, thinking they can get offensive rebounds, and they go to the basket a little bit more aggressively when they know two seven footers are not back there. Yeah, you saw AD doing jumping jacks almost underneath when anytime he had Chris Paul mismatched on him and was furious if they didn't just feed the ball to him right away. And so, yeah, to Seth's point, I mean that that's uh, you're just asking for a field day down there uh, when that's the matchup that you have at any time on the court. Absolutely, because the thing about AD, there are not many big men in the league, they're as talented as him. The Suns just did not have the personnel. And Aiton, you know, was, was their defensive anchor that is not there. And he pretty much has, Monty has to work with two less talented bigs and Jock Landale and Biz Biyombo as a starter. Now, Biz is put in there for his rebounding and shot blocking. He plays bigger than what he is. He's only 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, I mean, he's, he's really an undersized big, technically, going up against AD, who is pretty much seven feet, and or 6'11", technically, is what they list him as. But the thing about it is that they, when you see Davis in the middle and having his leaping ability and jumping over people, it's almost like the hack-a-shack thing years ago, is that you have to follow him. You have to make him earn it at the line. So they are going to get more free throws, inevitably, than the Suns do. And as for the screening, though, is what I'm really concerned about because with the offensive foul calls and Torrey Craig, like he had late in the fourth quarter, setting the screen for Devin Booker and lowering his shoulder, and they're, especially on the road, the home team is going to get that call, especially when they're on a momentum like they did in that point swing that went in OKC's favor in the fourth quarter. You know, and the Suns were up 12. Then OKC just went on their run. You see Torrey Craig just lower his shoulder and then they get an offensive foul call. And then it happened early in the Lakers game, first quarter. It's like this is a basic grade school stuff and knowing how to set a screen like a statue and not lowering yourself. Bismack Miyamo picked up two screen uh, offensive fouls uh, on himself as well. In the second, in the first quarter, so it's like these things are avoidable. And Miz, I think Biz had three offensive foul calls uh, in the Lakers game last night, 
uh, when it came to setting screens. So, and he's like, whoa, 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 what? I'm like, you, because when you're a massive big shoulder guy, aesthetically, when you're setting your screen on somebody smaller, it, it looks like it, it very imposing, but you just have to stand there and await and not, not move. But you, most of the time, this is another fundamental thing. A lot of times when the ball handler doesn't, uh, when it goes wide around the screen and the defense or the defender is going, trying to go over the top. And the, the, a lot of times it's the ball handler's fault when it comes to an offensive foul call for a screen because the screener has to move around in order to pretty much, you know, use the screen, you know, have the ball handler use the screen effectively if the ball handler doesn't rub shoulder to shoulder with the screener. Is that correct, as Mr. Basketball Coach? Yeah, no, you're you're dead on, but I, I think at the the basis of this is the fundamentals, right? And you have uh, very experienced ball handlers. They have to put, and you have to know your personnel, right? You talk about all the time KYP. So you have to know who's in the game. You have to know you don't have Aiden, right? And so you have to recognize the reps that uh, you know these guys get look very different. And so especially after they pick up one or two, or it's a common theme over the past few games. One, you got to work on that in practice, and then two in game, uh, you have to make sure you're leading and putting them in positions to be successful to help eliminate those so uh, we have work to do collectively as it relates to that and i think that's just one of of the areas um you know that right now uh is an opportunity as we have a and and kevin durant both out well to the young coaches or, or the future coaches that are watching and listening to this uh great job by uh, coach darwin ham uh from the first quarter knowing that devin booker is such a threat the whole league the whole world maybe the whole universe knows that he is a uh, great threat off the pick and roll. And uh, you start in the first quarter. You get on the refs, and uh, the Lakers staff was getting on the refs like, hey, this is a legal pick, legal pick, even though they weren't at that time. But it gets that mindset of the officials. So late in the game, third quarter, fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, you get those calls because you pick, you nitpick at the referees. And sometimes a lot of people go, ah, you know, coaches always complaining about calls, and I know you probably get that too, doctor, but uh, that's what it does. It, it it puts their mindset onto watching something. So when they see something, a flail or 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 somebody really selling that, uh, that they're getting hit by Bismack, uh, that's when you get that call. So, um, uh, you know, hats off with the Lakers organization on doing that. Uh, and and I think a lot of coaches do that too, you know, even though they know that they're uh, in the wrong. They'll say, oh, you got to watch this. He's doing this illegal because they know in the fourth quarter you might have a possibility of getting that call. Right. And Austin Reeves was another one who got to the uh, the, the the line a lot last night. And so I, I really commend him for knowing how to do it. He reminds me of the guy that's just a – he can get inside a defender's head because he doesn't look like um, – he's a very unassuming guy, you know, in his look. But he's just a smart player. LeBron James said he's one of the smartest players he's ever played with. This is a high praise. And I think with Austin Reeves knows how to get around guys with his timing. And he knows how to use his body to draw contact and, and make those moves where he can get a defender up. And, and basically, he's not the most athletic guy, but he compensates for that with his intelligence enough to get to the line and up. And I know that with the scouting report, they should have saw that because Austin Reese had 35 points in the previous night before the Suns played him. Uh, so that should tell Monty, like, okay, he knows how to get to the line because a lot of those points are at the line and not just from shooting threes. So that made me think, doesn't Monty know how to pretty much use that 
as a, you know as defenders uh, on his team. I know that a lot of times with the personnel now in the Suns, there's only there's a lot of one way guys. There's not a lot of two way guys like Mikael Bridges, who was the best two way defender and on ball uh, defender in the league, um, arguably. But he knows. Uh, but the, but there's not a lot of guys, and he's Martin's trying to figure out these different rotations. Like who are the guys that are going to be able to, you know, how I'm optimizing on one end of the floor and the other end, and how do I balance that? And so we see him struggling. Imani played 13 guys in the OKC game, you know, a lot of guys. And last night, you're trying to shrink that rotation, but, you know, he's, he, you had Biz, Biombo, and also Jack Landell in foul trouble early. And so – how do you use basically inevitably a small ball lineup against a team that's bigger in the Lakers? And that's where they got caught with the fouls too last night. It's just trying to inevitably go small because their bigs are in foul trouble and they got, they're basically getting out rebounded and blown past by a bigger Lakers team. Yeah, it's a tough task for him. And, 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 and uh, you said it before, uh, Dana, that, you, you know, Monty can't really start pointing fingers this late in the season on, on, on how they can defend. And if he does uh, have, have the courage to do that, uh, he can't do it during the media uh, <laughs> uh, because uh, this is a sensitive time right now, knowing that, uh, you know, two of your big all-stars are out. Uh, and then also you want to make that chemistry togetherness um, for that big push starting into the playoffs. Um, and then it's another, it's the, it's the league factor, you know, uh, Lakers get in the playoffs is a great story. You know, Suns, I think, yeah. are, are not really in a lock-lock, but, they, you know, they're definitely going to be in. And, uh, you know, getting Lakers in inside of, of a situation where they're not in that playing game uh, is, is, is going to be huge for the Lakers, and I think the league knows that. Yeah, well, here's the thing I just saw about the, the standings. The Suns are in the fourth spot, all right? So they have a little bit of a cushion, four games over 500. But, you know, they are – just two games out of the playing seventh spot, the first playing seventh spot, and they are two and a half games away from the tenth spot, which is held by the Lakers. And the Lakers are one game under five hundred. So that just shows how wide open the West is, but just shows how steep the Suns can drop if they don't turn their losing ways around quick, starting against the 76ers. And that's going to be tough because if Aiden doesn't play against Joel Embiid on Saturday – and they win their uh, – and, and the Suns lose their six out of seven games, then they're precipitously falling back towards where they're trying to stay away from that play-in drama. That's and, and, Dana, I don't know if you're intentionally skipping tomorrow's game, but at Sacramento is not going to be – Oh, I'm sorry. Sacramento, yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because right. uh, uh, we, we have two tough games back-to-back, -back, so uh, it, it is not getting easy. And like you said, two games back, those are two tough games right there. So Sunday we could be having a whole different conversation yeah. on it. and they got to face the bonus. Yep. That's another yeah. thing. got to face the bonus. And they are and... hot, one of the hottest in the NBA right now and right. at home. And at exactly. home. Exactly. They're, so they're facing Demonis Sabonis. And also, this the, the Kings are probably they're, – they're, they're the runaway team that's probably – they're going to win the Pac division. They're going to win the Pacific at this point. And, yeah. Go ahead. And, you know, said hit on it. You're talking about Monty and the defense. We know the defense took a hit. Look at the trade. We lost a lot of our defense. So, already, 
naturally, and that's without having DA and KD out, like you're in a unique position. Your your team has to build the chemistry, as I was talking about, all while fighting for positioning and playoff lives because we're in the West. So you have a whole lot going on every single day, whether it's a practice or a game, heading into the playoffs, and you have to have the chemistry and the culture right as you head into that first round or else you could be looking at you know a disaster from an expectation perspective if you have an early exit so uh, there is a whole lot right now that Monty has to navigate through um, and tons of adversity and uh, you know the these next couple of weeks are going to show ultimately what each of, of those guys in that locker room and along with that coaching staff has right now next topic about Devin Booker needing help beyond just offense with Durant out who is going to be the guy that steps up Shamit Landry Shamit has stepped up. He's contributed 15 points last night, and he shot well, 13 points against OKC. So we know Shamit. When he's on, he's really on, and he's a real great hustle player. But when he's off, he's really off. And so Okogi didn't play well last night. That was his first game where he couldn't eat donut in a while. But who would be the next guy to step up beyond just offense to help Devin Booker, who is playing at a high level right now? Well, it's it's tough because his team is built behind uh, you know two three individuals that if you any twelve four I, I, I please not do not let me uh, discredit uh, Andre DeAndre Aiden in the middle. Um, with, if you double at any time, that's when the others, as Shaquille O'Neal would say, they get the opportunity to score. Uh, so now you know you got a lot of players that usually get there between ten and seventeen points on any given night by being hot. They get those points because uh, you you leave Chris Paul off a of pick and roll, uh, Aiden rolls, and you got to cover two there. Uh, Kevin Durant requires two or three people on him all the time, as well as Devin Booker. So you kind of like the odd man out. Uh, that's the wonderful luxury myself and Richard Dumas had uh, by playing with Charles Barkley, Kevin Johnson, Dan Marley. Uh, you, you you get open shots because of the the great talent of the other superstars. And now you have to have an opportunity to score on your own. You got to create your own shot because those individuals are out or uh, they're collapsing or gearing their defense to stop Booker off of screens and, and keep uh, Chris Paul out of the paint. Uh, so, you know, that's the, the problem. I mean, it, it really boils down to injuries at this point to get those two big seven footers back on the court. And then that's when you can retain or, or, or go back to having balance. Absolutely. Patrick, what's your take on this? Who should to me, it's going to be who is going to show up and be consistent. I think uh, Monty as a coach is looking for who that is. And and ultimately, I, I don't see who it is yet. And I think that spots up for grabs. And every game where you have DA and or KD and or anyone else that we know is, is going to fill most of those minutes when they're healthy, um, that, that's theirs to go win. And and that's, that's the piece. If you're any of those uh, rotation guys or role players that you need to see, this is what your team needs. This is what your team is missing. Who is going to step up and fill that void and earn those minutes and, and get what is needed? And, and to me, that's what I'm looking at. But I don't think I've seen who that consistent person is. And I think you see that with Coach Monty Williams and what he's doing with the rotations, uh, game in and game out, and trying to find what that looks like on top of dealing with the injury adversity and then when someone gets in foul trouble, one or two guys, and having to navigate that throughout a game. Well, it's the isolation league, uh, Doctor, and that's that's what makes it difficult about the roster that they're put together when they have an injuries. Uh, it, you know, Cam even coming off the bench uh, has the ability to score on his own, but 
you know, you know, he's going to max 20 to 25 points and he might get that one or two games uh, out of a four or five game series. But, you know, you just have to find um, somebody's got to take it back to when they were uh, the best player on their high school team or the best player on their college team. And when they had the ball all the time, they got to retrain their thought because Kevin and Aiden is not out there and, and Devin needs somebody else to, you know, pick up that scoring bunch, not only the scoring bunch, but the also, also scoring with the basketball in their hand. Right. Do you believe that Kevin Durant will come back before the end of this month or before the playoffs start? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I hope he's back as, as, as soon as he can and healthy. Uh, it's just, it's really tough. I mean, uh, the two teams that make the biggest trades are, are, are looking at a position of trying to be eliminated. I'm talking about the Dallas Mavericks too, as well. They're not, you know, they're, they're on the verge of trying to get themselves out of the playoffs too. So this is going to be a tough stretch of these last couple of games uh, uh, to really see the seedings or, or who gets in, who gets out. And then you're looking at, I mean, if you look at the bottom of the West, I don't mean to change the subject, but, you know, as, as dangerous as uh, Portland is and Damian Lillard has been talking, like, is this going to make my career if I make win a championship or not? And you you got those guys trying to sneak in, too, at the bottom. And Lakers are, are playing well. The league wants the Lakers in. And uh, you know, OKC, you know, I thought, you know, Kid Judges just has a – uh, MVP caliber season so far and what he has done so far and what, obviously uh, where they had predicted them to be, uh, you know, and then, you know, we saw Utah emerge at the beginning of the season. Uh, obviously it made some changes, but uh, you never know when they'll get it together or or might, might buckle down and then move themselves up to. So, Doctor, I don't know, man. It's this is I want Kevin back as much as possible, as quick as possible, but I do want him healthy. Yeah, you said hit it on the head. To me, it's healthy because if you rush him back or you start to panic and you're like, they had a plan uh, when he when he tweaked the ankle and they needed to stick to that plan. Um, and everyone else needs to to fall in line. And the, look at the seeding. You, it's not even like you can really jockey for position uh, with with the seeds as close as they are from four really now all the way down to you know twelve. Um, and and twelve obviously doesn't even make it. You you can't even work and worry about where should you want to match up against who because every day that can change. And so you have to focus on getting one hundred percent healthy, not rushing it back. Because if you do, and then something else tweaks it, and then there's an issue come playoff time, you know that's not what you're building for. And so um, do I hope it's sooner than later? I don't think anybody that's a Suns fan doesn't. Um, but to me, I, I would be I erring on the side of listening to the training staff and the doctors and when he is fully cleared that is when he takes a court and no sooner okay so here's a question if the suns fall to the seventh spot lebron is who's been reported to possibly come back before the end of the regular season do you rush kd back to get out of that seventh spot so that way you can get home court advantage uh no i don't think so i i, I don't think so uh it's going to be tough period because if you do get to play in uh, and then you eventually get in. Who are you looking at? You're looking at SAC. You're looking at Denver. You, you know, luckily or luckily or unluckily for the Clippers, you know, uh, Paul goes down. Right. Uh, so I think everybody's kind of eyeballing that spot. Like, okay, we get in. We we have a chance. But then you do have a former MVP and Russell Westbrook who can step in and you know maybe turn uh, what that injury with Paul around to another having another superstar on their squad. But I think the biggest thing. Uh, with the Suns on 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 Katie is a long stretch on the health. I mean, um, 
I'm not going to say they will or will not uh, with an unhealthy uh, KD. They definitely will not win the championship. But with a healthy one, they got a bigger and better chance. And I think they're going to roll their dice on the healthy KD, uh, especially after all that they have given up uh, to get him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't think you're worrying about that. And to me, uh, yeah, I'll get heat about it. And I know LeBron is great, but they play better team basketball uh, when LeBron is not there. So I knew last night would be tough, uh, you know, going against them than uh, having a healthy uh, LeBron uh, playing. So, yeah, to me, you stick to the plan, execute, win the games you can win. Um, and again, every opportunity is there for different individuals to have experience that then come the playoffs, if someone does get in foul trouble or does get injured in the game, you have guys that you know can be dependable in certain situations based on what the Suns are navigating through these past couple of weeks and whatever they navigate through uh, the remaining weeks until the playoffs. So that goes to our next topic. Uh, the Suns in the fourth spot, if this playoffs were to start today, they would have to play the Clippers, who are five. And if the Warriors are six right now, and if the Suns fall to five, then and the Warriors jump them to fourth, then the Suns would have to basically face the Warriors, the defending champs. Who would you rather face? Would you rather face the Warriors or the Clippers in the first round? I think I just answered that question with uh, Paul George going out. Yeah, bring those clip show guys on. Yeah. Um, because, you know, one, obviously uh, – you know, that's championship caliber basketball going on in Golden State. And, and who cares what what uh, seed that they get in because they can be effective in any seed. Um, right. uh, I, I think you, you, you're you this late in the season, you got a little, yeah, I'm going to create a word here, shaking upness uh, with the Clippers, uh, with Paul going out. And now you got to move some chess pieces around and get yourself squared away. Uh, obviously, you know, um, you know, their coaches, uh, you know, already won a championship and, and can maneuver things around. But does the players, does the pressure of being in L.A., uh, being the second team in L.A., get to them? Uh, you know, they're going to be transferring in a couple of years over to a new building. This is an opportunity for them to, you know, do something uh, really well. Uh, and then you got to deal with a healthy KD. If healthy KD comes back uh, without the defensive presence of Paul George, uh, like I said before, uh, Russell, former MVP, but uh, when it comes to guarding KD, you, you definitely need a Paul George to try to, you know, tag team with him and Kawhi, uh, uh, trying to stop somebody as dangerous as him and also as dangerous as Devin Booker. Right. Yeah, there's no debate, uh, Clippers for sure. I think uh, I would love in a perfect world to make it to the conference finals and have uh, the Warriors there, as uh, could have been last year. And uh, one, that's exciting basketball. Uh, two, I think it, it's it's a stronger opponent. And so, yeah, absolutely, Clippers uh, first round would be would be a amazing matchup. Yeah, I feel like I'd rather take the Warriors because if you can beat the Warriors and you get home court advantage, the Warriors are not a good road team, and you get them out of the way first. It's almost like you get the hard stuff out of the way first and then you create an easier path. Not to say it's easy because it doesn't get easier when you are in the playoffs. And you know this all too well said from being in playoff games with teams. But when you get to that second round, it seems like with the Suns, what helped them get to the finals was when they cruised against the Nuggets in that semifinal in 2021 and they swept them. 
And Monty said they earned it. They had a week off. They got to recuperate. And then they faced the Clippers in the finals and beat them in six. And then they got to basically with that the extra juice, they were able to go 2-0 above the Bucks. Is there some validity to that or no? Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think the biggest word you used there was the juice. And if you do uh, have a matchup with the Golden State Warriors, Kevin Durant has yet to play inside of Chase Arena since he won a championship. Right. So that juice uh, that you're talking about uh, could go, you know, towards the Golden State Warriors, especially at, at home. Um, and, and, you know, and, and we're not totally dumb when I say we. I mean, the Phoenix Suns are not totally dominant. Um at the footprint center at this point right now. So it is an opportunity for Golden State, who I, I think the reason their road woes are, are happening is they're still uh, having backlash from the, the pool uh, Draymond fight uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, because as a former player, let me tell you, we get our camaraderie, we get our chemistry, not at home, because we're all separated when we're at home. We get our, our chemistry when we're on the road, when we're on the bus, we're on the plane, uh, you know, we're goofing around in, in foreign foreign places. We know it's us against the world. And and not having that uh and then having that separation of Team Pool, Team Draymond, as much as you can in the media now, you really don't want to chastise your career or your team. And they probably handled it internally. But I think individual-wise, that's when they haven't come together on the road. It's because of that one situation, because you kind of separate. You know, I've won championships with this guy, but the younger guys are like, you know, that was that was some bull. Don't, don't honky, as Shannon Sharp would say, yeah. uh, uh, that that went on, and they and they kind of just kind of side eye and they kind of separated. So uh, it's a good thing that they have you know home games, but 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 trust me, when it comes to chemistry and the way you play together as a team on the road is where you make your bucks. I never thought of that, but it makes sense because when you don't have equilibrium and you have uh, basically factions within the team um, and it's fractured, then you basically don't have that uh, idea of like us collectively against yeah. them. Uh, yeah. And you're not around Draymond as much when you're on, when you're on, when you're at home, right. you know, he goes to his house, he goes and handles his business. You're not around him. You're around your family. When you're on the road, you know, you, you know, he crosses your path. He's loud. You know, he's on the bus loud. He's on the plane loud. He's in the locker room loud. And and if you just, just you you really have some disagreement with what he did, you kind of get sick of that guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, yeah. You that's know, what's going on on the road. That's interesting because I remember when Kevin Durant explained why he signed with the Warriors away from OKC as a free agent in 2016. He said in that uh, Sports Illustrated article that he, when he sat down with them at a at a house, uh, the Warriors, he said that he felt that their hands were all held together, even though they were all sitting in their own individual chairs without holding hands. Yeah. And that's the sense of camaraderie that the Warriors had. And that's why when they were able to cruise to those two extra titles with him in 2017 and 2018. And he also stated that, that you know, he didn't stay, but he did stay. Draymond was one of the reasons he left. I mean, just a, a nagging person. Like, I, if I'm supposed to be one of the top five players in the world, why is this guy always on me for, you know, great, great reasons to win the championship? But we can win this championship without you in the back of my ear all the time, just nitpicking, nitpicking, nitpicking. Yeah, we saw that notorious huddle, you know, when, <laughs> when Draymond said, if you don't like it, you can leave. You know, he, and he called him, you know, he called him the B word. So, 
you know, that, and, and you saw how that basically just made them go their own way, even though they made the finals and they ended up losing to Toronto. So, yeah, Dana, I think uh, to your, your question too, or, you know, you saying you'd rather the Warriors now, if it, if this were two seasons ago, I would agree with you mm -hmm. because we're not in the same position. We're not clicking uh, on the court the way that we were then. And so, yeah, to go in and, and, face a tough opponent right away. KD has not got to mesh with this group yet. Um, you know, th that chemistry and camaraderie isn't there yet. So we need that to build and need um, a not as challenging opponent where that needs to be clicking on all cylinders coming into the first round where two seasons ago we were clicking. So we could we could and did, obviously we being the Suns, execute and, and perform well against that. But right now, um, I don't think we're, we're in a position that that would be as successful for our group uh, going into the first round as it would have been two seasons ago. You know, it brings me uh, to another point. I've been watching The Last Dance lately because, you know, my wife has been really, really trying to figure out this beef between Scottie Pippen and Jordan. And I know, but <laughs> but at the same time is what struck me last night was I think it was episode seven when Jordan came back. And not to say that KD's out of shape like Jordan was coming from baseball, but to put him in the mix Jordan was good in those first couple games, but when it came to the playoffs, it seemed like Jordan's, you know, adding him to the mix, he he didn't have he wasn't in game shape for the playoffs, and that's why they lost to the Magic. And he came back in March around this time in 1995. And I remember that well. And so the first couple games he cruised, but then after a while, you could see Jordan kind of teeter off and he wasn't really the same MJ, but it took him that next summer into 1995-96 season to get to that 72-10 season where they became, you know, at the time, the greatest regular season uh, record ever. And Jordan and all those guys clicked on all cylinders. Nobody could beat them. So I wonder if this Suns team is at that same point where they have guys who've been together for so many years and then – you got somebody who's just kind of this alpha thrown in the mix late in the regular season, and then they got to figure out how to incorporate him and basically have a top dog when everybody pretty much had their chemistry uh, already on top and they have to make room for him. So I wonder if that's where the Suns are going to be in the playoffs. Well, that's a, that's a tough comparison to throw out there, Dana, because uh... – you know, where do you equal Dennis Rotman in this equation? Uh, in, yeah, in that too. The year before, where do you uh, put Scottie Pippen in this? It's, it's really tough because uh, I was there at the uh, Space Jam Dome and watched Jordan train that summer, and he, he just had to get his body right. Uh, and and and, it's, and you got to remember, Jordan didn't play that whole season. KD played this season, uh, so I don't know if it's, it's really in shape or 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 the threat, but it. it that's, that's a very, very tough comparison. The if it's a stretch, it's a stretch. I'm just saying, you know. I'm just, <laughs> all right. If it's a stretch, it's a stretch. All right, my last uh, topic that we have about is the college coach carousel. The Sweet 16 is back on today, Thursday, the 23rd. And a lot of college coaches, after tournament losses, you know, they always make – new moves to big programs. Rick Pitino is back in the mix. Rick Pitino is almost like a cicada bug. You know, he comes up and pops up out of the ground every couple, every 17 years and just, it just 
creates problems for other teams, right? Creates problems for your yard when, you know, if you know what a cicada bug is, it just comes up out of the mix every 17 years, right? But not that long for Rick Pitino. Everybody thought he'd be done with coaching, but he's back at St. John's, back in the Big East, which is big, uh, huge brand for the Big East. And also you got Ed Cooley moving from Providence to Georgetown and Toby Anderson replacing um, – Rick Pitino at Iona, we went from Fairleigh Dickinson uh, after he was there for just 10 months and beat you know, top-ranked Purdue. Big upset last weekend. Then you got the Penn State coach going to Notre Dame to replace Mike Bray. Mike Bray's going to you know South Florida. And then you got all these moving parts going on right now. A lot of stuff. So what's your take about college coaches? And I'm wondering about you, Patrick, if you are at your alma mater, just like Ed Cooley was, right, in his hometown, leaving his hometown, if you had a great opportunity to go to another school, would you stay put to continue building what you were doing? Or what would be the idea going through your mind if you got a greater opportunity like these coaches did? Yeah, I think it's personal. So I can only speak for myself. So me and my alma mater, we celebrate 100 years this year as a school. Uh, what what we do in our community at Peoria. State champion um, Peoria, bio. Yeah. State yes, champion yes, Peoria. Sir. Let me rephrase that. The rock, right? Yeah, thank you. But um, it, to me, it's more about the impact that I have on the community and the youth within that community and um, how underserved the community is and how many come from broken homes and the role I personally play in a lot of those young men's lives. So to me, it's not just the title or being the head coach. I, I've been at the program nine years now and the first five were just fully voluntary. And that was after coaching, you know, just AAU for 15 years prior to that. And so to me, it, it's more meaningful what I'm able to do on and off the court in this position. So getting a more classy, if you want to call it that, you know, equal, just another high school that I have zero interest in that. Um, that's me personally. I know many others, you know, they would be an assistant coach. And as soon as they had any opportunity to go be a head coach, they go. Um, but that's, that's not what it's about for me. And that's not what's important to me. So um, I think each of these coaches have what that is for them and their personal life along with their professional life. And obviously we're speaking, um, you know, millions of dollars for a lot of these guys. So uh, a lot different from me making, you know, $3,000 over a course of a whole year to coach basketball. Um, I'm not doing it for the money. And so that that's where I would be coming from. But again, I think it's individual to each of these coaches. Yeah. What's your Great, answer. Great answer. And I think the opportunity does uh, go personal. Uh, also big shout out to, uh, Boston Celtics uh, assistant coach Damon Stoudemire. Damon Stoudemire, mighty Georgia mouse. Tech job. Yes, yeah, Georgia Tech. Yes, love Damon Stoudemire, man. You know, growing up, uh, of course, I practiced a lefty jump shot because of him. Willis Reed, rest in peace. Who I grew yes. up, you know, as a Knicks fan, and uh, that got me choked up the other day seeing that highlight of him coming out. Also, Felton Spencer. And Felton Spencer too. Yeah. You said that's your guy. Rest in peace. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.